Hello and welcome. You found the Social Work Podcast. My name is Jonathan Singer, and I'll be your host as we explore all things social work. Today's podcast looks at the relationship between theory and clinical social work practice. I spoke with Joe Walsh, professor of social work at Virginia Commonwealth University and author of the Brooks Cole text, Theories for Direct Social Work Practice, which came out in a second edition in 2009. We talked about why social workers should learn practice theories, the differences between practice, developmental, and personality theories, the difference between a theory and a model, and why there are so many different practice theories. We talked about how knowing theory makes for better social work practice, and how being eclectic isn't about eschewing theory, but being well-grounded in a few theories and making intentional choices about when and how to draw from them. Joe suggested that social workers in the field can contribute to theory refinement by thinking seriously about how well the theories they use work with the clients they serve. We ended our conversation with some informational resources for social workers who are interested in learning more about practice theories. Now, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know that at this point, I usually say, and now on to the podcast with, and I name the guest and the topic. But before we get to today's interview, I wanted to acknowledge that theory is one of those topics that really makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It tends to make social work students groan, it makes practitioners throw up their hands and shrug, and it incites all sorts of debate among social work scholars. And I think this is because, while theory is by definition abstract, there's a debate in social work as to whether or not theory improves the quality of practice, research, and policy. I also want to acknowledge that the topic of theory is huge, and this podcast can't cover all of it. But in order to provide a context for the interview, I'm going to spend a few minutes defining some basic ideas around theory, identify different types of theories, and talk about some of the pros and cons of theory in social work practice, research, and policy. A definition of theory. In 2001, Bruce Thayer, one of social work's most outspoken critics of theory, defined theory as attempts to retrospectively explain and prospectively predict. Now, this is just one of many definitions, but I like it because it suggests two functions of theory. The first is to explain, or to help us understand, to provide some insight into why something happened. For example, you're working with a woman whose children were removed by child welfare for neglectful parenting. Why did this happen? During your conversation with her, it becomes clear that she learned how to parent by watching her parents, as well as the people around her. Well, is that information really important? Well, it is according to Albert Bandura's social learning theory which says that people learn behaviors by watching others. This mother modeled her parenting on what she saw around her. And this brings us to the second function of theory, to predict what might happen in the future. Taking the same example, social learning theory would predict that if you model protective parenting behaviors, your client will learn how to parent her children in ways that are neither abusive nor neglectful. But you might be asking yourself, Isn't there more to parenting than just behaviors? Yes, and this suggests the limit of relying on a single theory to try and explain or predict human behavior. While some theories do a better job of explaining, and some do a better job of predicting, all theories have limitations, 
and being an informed consumer of theories means knowing about different types of theories and specifically about different assumptions of practice theories. So let's talk for a minute about the different types of theories. There are many types of theories that clinicians need to know about, such as developmental, personality, and practice theory. Social work students learn about developmental theory in their human behavior and social environment courses. Some examples of developmental theory are Piaget's theory of cognitive development, Kohlberg and Gilligan's theories of moral development, and Erickson's psychosocial theory. Developmental theories can be useful in understanding why someone is doing something at a particular stage in life. Personality theories explain human behavior in terms of personality traits, such as someone being more introverted or extroverted, or more dominant or submissive. But neither developmental theory nor personality theory talk much about what you, the practitioner, can do to help someone with some problems. That's where practice theories come in. Practice theories often incorporate components of developmental and personality theory, but the focus is on why someone is having a specific set of problems and how we can resolve those problems. The why and how vary by the practice theory. Practice theories are often divided into four broad categories, psychodynamic, cognitive behavioral, humanistic, and postmodern. If I recorded this podcast in the 1950s, not only would I be a technological genius, but I would talk exclusively about the variations of Freudian psychosexual theory. By the 1970s, however, social workers could choose between psychodynamic, cognitive behavioral, and humanistic theories. In the 1980s, postmodern theories became really popular, and these categories are not exhaustive, but they do account for most practice theories that are commonly applied to treating individuals. I'm going to spend a few minutes describing each of these four categories of practice theories. To learn more about the theories in each of these categories, you can listen to a number of other social work podcasts or read social work practice theory texts by Cody and Lehman, Malcolm Payne, or today's guest, Joe Walsh. The links to those resources can be found on the Social Work Podcast website at socialworkpodcast.com. Psychodynamic theory. These theories, including drive or id psychology, ego psychology, object relations, and self-psychology, have their roots in the work of Sigmund Freud and the belief that current problems can be traced back to childhood traumas or developmental challenges. These theories emphasize insight and personality change. More recent psychodynamic approaches, such as brief psychodynamic therapy, maintain the emphasis on insight, but focus interpretations on current issues. Cognitive Behavioral Theories Although cognitive and behavioral theories developed separately, they're generally considered part of the same broad category because, in practice, most behavioral interventions have a cognitive component, and most cognitive interventions have a behavioral component. Cognitive behavioral therapists recognize that, although thoughts and behaviors have roots in the past, the focus of treatment is on changing current thoughts and behaviors in order to improve future functioning. Early writings from cognitive behavioral therapists saw the therapist as a teacher who could help the client learn to change thoughts and behaviors. But today's cognitive behavioral therapists agree that the therapeutic relationship is central to the change process. Humanistic. This category of practice theories has its roots in the work of Carl Rogers, who held the humanistic belief that people have within them all of the resources needed to achieve their full potential. 
Humanistic therapies see the therapeutic relationship as central to the change process. Rogers is famous for saying that in order for change to occur, therapists must be authentic, genuine, and demonstrate unconditional positive regard for their clients. Humanistic therapies focus on the present with little emphasis on the past or future. Postmodern. Practice theories in this category, most notably Michael White and David Epstein's narrative therapy, are critical of approaches that privilege some ideas at the expense of others. Postmodernists believe that since reality is a social construction, the therapeutic relationship is central to change. Postmodern approaches argue that the primary benefit of labeling a set of behaviors as dysfunctional is to elevate those without that label. In this way, traditional social services, the medical model, and most treatment approaches are tools used by those in power to maintain control. Within each of these categories, specific practice theories try to tackle more broad or narrow ranges of experiences. For example, traditional Freudian psychoanalysis is considered a grand theory that tries to account for the experience of all people. In contrast, interpersonal psychotherapy is more of a practice model in that it uses ideas from psychodynamic theory, but makes very narrow assumptions about who can be helped by the intervention and in what time frame. Arguments against theory. Well, so far I've defined theory, talked about types of theories, and specific categories of practice theories. The last thing I want to talk about before we hear the obviously pro-theory interview with Joe Walsh is that there are three compelling arguments against practice theories. First, there are no unique social work practice theories. That is, there are no theories that derive from social work values and specifically reflect social work's assumptions about the human condition. But wait, you're saying, what about ecological systems theory? Well, ecosystems theory is not a practice theory. It's a framework. Catherine Van Wormer, in her book on human behavior and the social environment, noted that systems theory is too broad to be researchable in any practical way. Ecosystems theory reminds social workers of the broad range of influences on a person's life, but doesn't provide guidance on how to intervene. Second, there's limited empirical support for the use of most practice theory with diverse populations. Narrative therapy, one of the few practice approaches that explicitly focuses on societal construction of disadvantage, was developed by Michael White, a social worker. A third argument against theory has to do with the limited amount of empirical support for practice theories as a significant factor in client change. Jerome Frank, whom Joe Walsh will reference in this interview, argued that four common factors, the therapeutic relationship, common therapeutic procedures, a healing setting, and the client's belief in a reason for their problems, accounted for most therapeutic change. In 2001, Bruce Wampold published a meta-analysis of psychotherapy studies and concluded that Frank was right. He found that all practice approaches work about the same, and that common factors accounted for significantly more change than did the specific treatment approach. Well, you might be wondering, okay, so those are pretty good reasons against practice theories. Should I even bother to listen to the rest of the podcast? Well, I would say yes, and not just because I spent a lot of time working on this. I think this is an important podcast because despite the critiques against social work theory, the truth is, is that more people would argue for it than against it. Joe is a great interview, 
And I'm going to tell your professor if you don't finish the podcast. I'm just kidding about that last one. But a good social worker will gather lots of information before making a decision. So, in the spirit of gathering information, on to the interview with Joe Walsh and Theories for Clinical Social Work Practice. Joe, thanks so much for being here today on the podcast to talk with us about theories and social work practice. And my first question is, why should social workers learn theory? Well, to me, uh, a theory is simply a way to try to make sense out of very complex behavior. And I think that, um, you know, at its core, human behavior is way too complex for any of us to understand in its entirety. So a theory is just a perspective or a lens that we assume so that we can narrow down what we're looking at and do the best we can at understanding people and their experiences. It's sort of a way to make sense out of confusing experiences. I believe that everyone operates from a theoretical perspective, whether they're aware of it or not. So I believe that it's important for social workers to learn theory because in the process, they learn about their own beliefs, their own assumptions about people and how problems develop and how they can help people to change. Um, I'll just add here at the beginning that I do not propose any particular theory as being the best or better than others because I believe that a social worker's mastery of any theory will enable that person to do their best work with their clients. You've written a, a whole book on practice theory, and I'm, and I'm wondering how does it differ from other types of theories that social workers learn about, like developmental theory or personality theory? Well, I think of developmental theory, which is uh, what our students get in their human behavior and the social environment courses, as being uh, theories about how people develop, what makes people tick, why people behave the way they do, uh, natural changes that people go through during their lives. A personality theory, which I'm very interested in but have no expertise in, is about uh, how does a personality develop? What is a personality? Uh, are personalities fluid or are they uh, firm? A practice theory is different in that, as I see it, it's a theory about how to help people make changes when they desire to make changes. What is it about um, talking or doing with clients that can help them make the kind of changes they want to make? So that's how it's different than the other two kinds of theories. So what's the difference between a practice theory and a practice model? Okay, a practice theory is a very general, broad, abstract thing. Most practice theories, although not all, include concepts about human development. They include ideas about how problems develop, about how people change, and how the social worker can help people to change. But um, a model is narrower. A practice model is taking some of those concepts that a theory provides and using it in, to apply to a certain kind of client population. For example, we have interpersonal theory, which actually, in my view, is a practice model because it takes concepts from um, psychodynamic thinking and cognitive behavioral thinking and applies them to 
how people can resolve relationship problems. So that's a more narrow application of those two theories. Dialectical behavior therapy is another one that's very commonly used nowadays with persons who have uh, substance abuse and personality problems. And it, too, takes ideas from a couple of theories and applies them to a certain kind of a client population that is believed to be amenable to responding to um, applications of those theories. Now, personally, I have spent most of my practice career working with clients who have severe mental illnesses like schizophrenia. And I like to use ego psychology in my work with them. And the, the reason I would call this a model is because I believe that with persons who have serious mental illnesses, the client-worker relationship is very, very important because this is a client population that typically has difficulty with relationship development and trust and so forth. And so I take some concepts from ego psychology that have to do with the relationship, and I pay particular attention to those things when I work with that client population. I'm not using the whole theory, the whole psychodynamic range of ideas. I'm just using a part. And then I also utilize a lot of behavioral techniques, which comes from a different theoretical perspective, but I find that that is also useful for that population. So I would call what I do using a practice model a narrow application of some ideas that come from several theories. So the difference between a practice theory and a practice model is that a practice theory is broader in scope and a practice model is sort of more narrowly defined. And you gave some examples of practice models such as um, interpersonal psychotherapy and and dialectical behavior therapy, both of which we have uh, podcasts on. And so I guess one of my questions is, why are there so many practice theories that students learn about in their schools of social work? Well, uh, as I said earlier, a theory is just a way to make sense out of the complexity of the human condition. And there are many ways uh, to do that that people have found useful over the decades. Psychodynamic theory is a very old theory compared to the others. And, of course, it came out of a particular time and a particular culture. And I think that depending on the culture one lives in, that we live in, for example, we develop certain beliefs and assumptions about human behavior. Those change over time. Uh, Cognitive theory became very big in the 50s and the 60s when, um, for a variety of reasons, it was believed that, hey, this id-ego, super-ego stuff is really amorphous and abstract, and it seems to be giving life to these very abstract concepts. Shouldn't we get more concrete, and shouldn't we just focus more on people's cognitive thinking? Um, Again, I don't think that there's any theory that is the correct theory. I like ego psychology in part because it's what I learned first. I came up in the 70s, and back then uh, it was still a very popular approach. And uh, the other thing that I need to emphasize that I forgot to say a minute ago is that a theory has to make sense to the person who is using it, or else it will be useless to them. 
So I believe that we have a lot of theories because there are simply a lot of ways to conceptualize human behavior. And some of those are related to the times, the culture, and others are probably related just to the personalities of the people who come up with the theories. While I don't think it's possible for anyone to really feel comfortable with a lot of theories, I tend to think that any of us can feel comfortable working with three or four. And so those are the ones we're going to latch on to. Now, the reason we have so many practice models, and I think this is wonderful, it's because as the clinical social work practice field has developed, we have identified things like attachment problems that are very severe, that affect people throughout their lives, that maybe didn't get all that much attention 20, 30 years ago. Um, PTSD related to sexual trauma, uh, things like incest, sexual abuse, became very widely studied beginning, I think, in the 70s and 80s. And then we had, of course, personality disorders that became more of a focus and more was learned about those. So we learn more and more about the intricacies of human existence and human behavior and how people are affected. And I think it's great that, that a variety of thinkers in social work and other field are able to take whatever theories are available and trying to figure out, okay, how can we use these with this population in a way that's going to be helpful? So I think that part of the reason we have models is that we have more specifically identified client populations that we're trying to serve. So models develop out of a, a specific need, and it sounds like they're drawn from these broader ways of understanding how the world works, about how people work. You know, there might be a skeptic out there who would say practice theories are actually less useful these days than practice models, uh, like IPT or DBT or even solution-focused therapy or motivational interviewing, all of which are included in your book. What would you say to somebody who says, basically, theory doesn't matter. It's just sort of having a framework that is most important. I think we all operate from theoretical perspectives, going back again to what my own definition of a theory is. And so um, we owe it to ourselves as self-aware professionals to understand the basis from which we are trying to help people. And if somebody says to me that, and they do, they say this a lot, that uh, theory doesn't matter, I just disagree with that. I think that person is not aware of the fact that they do adhere, whether they're, um, again, aware of it or not, to certain theoretical perspectives. So I think this is really interesting. You said that you use ego psychology and cognitive behavior theory uh, when you work with your clients, and... Uh, that certainly fits in with your idea that social workers tend to work from uh, at least a couple of different theoretical perspectives. And it seems that most social workers these days would consider themselves eclectic, meaning that they do not adhere to one specific theory. And And I get that you're saying that it's really not realistic to think that somebody does not come from any theoretical perspective, that they're entirely eclectic, that they just sort of work with somebody completely individually 
based on how they meet them and that's it that everybody has sort of some theoretical basis to what they're doing but i was wondering if you could talk about what what are the pros and cons of being theoretically eclectic well the pros of being theoretic theoretically eclectic which by the way i would define as having knowledge of and mastery of several theories and also having knowledge and mastery of accompanying models of practice and um, being able to make decisions about which of those approaches is most suitable for this client or client system I'm working with. Um, I, for example, I, I keep saying this, I tend to be uh, ego-psychological, but a, a lot of times when I work with clients, I, I uh, put that completely aside and work behaviorally, for example. So I think eclecticism among, again, a limited number of theories with which one is familiar is the pro. On the con, Many people who are theoretically eclectic might think that they're prepared to draw from, let's say, 12 theories, uh, depending on what the needs of the client are. And I would just challenge that person to be sure that they truly understood the basis of, of all those approaches that they're drawing from and have an understanding of why and how one or several of those would be useful to apply to a situation. The, the con of being theoretically eclectic is sloppiness. Oh, I think I'm going to do some um, narrative therapy here because uh, narrative therapy seems to apply. Now, if I don't really know much about narrative therapy, I will not trust that that social worker is going to do a good job trying to use narrative therapy with a client if they don't really understand the process. And let me back up for a minute. Narrative theory is radically different from most of the other theoretical perspectives that, that I'm aware of. And it has um, radically different assumptions about identity and the influence of culture. And uh, it's important for the person to understand that or else I think what they'll be doing with a client is something that's really kind of uh, vague, ambiguous, and not really uh, being done in a way where they understand the kinds of goals that narrative theory tends to espouse. I actually have some pleasant arguments <laughs> with my colleagues around here um, with regard to solution-focused therapy. Now, I see that as a model, not a theory. I am reluctant to teach students about solution-focused therapy unless I'm prepared to do it exhaustively. Because if you just get a little bit of solution-focused therapy, you're left with the understanding that you ignore the past, you just look to the future, you find out what the client's goals are, and you help them develop ideas for ways to achieve those goals. It ignores a lot of the HBSE concepts that I personally believe are important. And I just think that a student or any social worker should understand that before they start using solution-focused therapy. I feel like I'm rambling now, but um, I think my basic point here is that the cons of being theoretically eclectic is that it can be a mishmash if you do not really understand the basis of what your various approaches are about. So those are some of the pros and cons of being theoretically eclectic, but I'm wondering if you could give an example of how theory actually informs practice. 
Sure. I'd like to talk about family theory here for a minute because I was not a family practitioner for the first 10 years of my practice career. I came upon family work later. And uh, I was aware when I got to that point that I didn't really know a lot about family theory. So I did some research and I found out about uh, Murray Bowen's family systems theory, which I call family emotional systems theory, just to make it a little more distinctive. And then uh, Mnuchin's structural family theory. Now, those two approaches to me are very, very complementary. They help me to think about how to work with a range of families. I'll say, too, that when I learned about family emotional systems theory, I learned a whole lot about myself (laughs) because uh, my own family of origin issues seem to be uh, addressed very well in that approach. But I work right now at a counseling center that is a part of uh, Virginia Commonwealth University here. And we get a lot of students coming in who are going through a lot of adjustment problems related to being at college and away from their families. And uh, one thing that uh, Bowen's family systems theory does is it helps us to explain that, you know, the patterns of uh, attachment that we learn in our families of origin stay with us long after we leave those families. And while we often think that we have separated appropriately from our families of origin, uh, we may be very much attached and maybe even enmeshed with that family more so than we're aware and willing to admit. So I've learned to talk a lot with students who are going through serious adjustment problems to college about their family histories just to get an idea of what those relationships were like. Are they trying to escape a negative family experience, perhaps too abruptly? Do they have unresolved issues with siblings, parents? It can be, it informs my practice greatly to think about concepts like differentiation, emotional cutoff, enmeshment. Um, My work with those kinds of students, and again, these are individuals, not families, but the family theory actually is applicable to any size client system. I'm much more comfortable assessing those clients. I I feel much more clear about the kind of questions I should be asking. And um, because I've spent a lot of time trying to understand those family of origin concepts, I think I'm in a, a better position to help the person think about how to appropriately move on in a way that feels good to them. Now, a second example of uh, family theory and how it informs my practice is Mnuchin's structural family theory because he developed his approach from working with multi-problem families. There's a lot of chaos, disruption, lots of problems going on, and it's all about looking in a concrete way about how a family is structured and trying to help the appropriate people within the family address the structural problems, which might be parent-child conflict, parent-to-parent conflict, one sibling subsystem versus another sibling subsystem. The way I think about Mnuchin's theory is that he's very concrete. 
and he helps me to understand in families where there's a lot of behavioral acting out among one or more members, what's going on there structurally that might be um, facilitating that. And his approach also provides me with ideas for how to amend those challenges. And he talks more about activities, giving assignments, tasks for family members to um, achieve. Going back to uh, Bowen, Bowen is not as much about doing tasks. Bowen is more about understanding and developing insight. So depending on the family that you're working with, uh, one may be more amenable to behavioral interventions to um, address structural or boundary problems. And then with Bowen, his approach is more about just helping a person or helping certain people in a family understand more clearly why things the way they are with them so that they can move past it and not just be uh, stuck somewhere without even realizing it. So there are two examples from my own practice of how theory has had a whole lot to do with how I interact with uh, various clients that I have. And again, I also work with families of people who have schizophrenia. And you see a lot of uh, sort of family disruption. So I find that the action-oriented, task-centered kinds of interventions seem to work well with them. And as you're talking, it, it makes it very obvious that being familiar with both Bowen's and Mnuchin's approaches to family therapy allows you to be more flexible and more comprehensive in the services that you provide to your clients. And I should add something to your previous questions about the pros and cons of being eclectic. Uh-huh. And uh, one, one of the important pros of being eclectic is that it does um, imply that you're going to be flexible. Mm-hmm. And I do want to emphasize that there's a lot of flexibility that um, I encourage in working with any kind of client because as, as we've just been talking Depending on a family presentation, it would be very useful to have several ways to go as far as how to understand the family, help them understand themselves, and then uh, intervene in a way that's effective. I have a couple of other questions that are related, a little bit distinct, but related. One of them is, what's a good practice theory? Another one is... Can social workers develop their own practice theory? And, and if so, what are the components of a practice theory? So they're all about how clinicians, social work students can think about how they can be theoretically grounded when they practice. I think that the uh, common components of a practice theory include the following things. A theory has to have some core ideas that suggest how is it that people develop problems? How is it that people go about changing? What ways can social workers use to help people make the changes that they want? Also, what does this approach say about the appropriate nature of the worker-client relationship? Any theory that a social worker uses should help them feel comfortable in uh, predicting and explaining what is going on with clients. The theory should bring order to their work, a discipline to the work that they do by giving them a focus. 
The other thing that a theory does is that it helps us to develop knowledge gaps that we have about a client. For example, if I'm trying to understand the um, nature of the interpersonal problems that a client has, and I'm talking now about a client who has uh, severe and persistent relationship problems, Object relations theory helps me to organize what do I need to know about this client historically to be able to proceed to try to help them uh, change in ways that they would want to change. So identifying knowledge gaps, I think, is also very important. Jerome Frank wrote a book called Persuasion and Healing. And what he did, he studied helping professionals around the world. He wanted to try to find out what are the common elements of good helping, in our terms, good practice. And he came up with things, and these guide my own work and my own teaching quite a bit. We have to be confident in whatever approach we are using. It has to resonate with our own beliefs and view of the world. We have to operate in such a way that the client perceives us to be competent and caring Whatever interventions I use with the client based on my theory, there should be some rationale to that that makes sense to my client. And my client, as well as myself, need to believe that what I am doing and the reasons why are a valid means of improving their functioning. There's another researcher, and I don't know the person's name, who also did a uh, cross-theoretical study to try to figure out what are the common elements of help, no matter what theoretical perspective somebody uses. And this is quite simple, and I love this, and I agree with this. What this person found is that in order to be theoretically equipped to do good work with the client, you have to be able to inform the client, after you do the assessment, of course, of how you will try to help them and why in ways that make sense to the client and yourself. And the only other thing that we need to do is seek feedback every so often, asking the client, how is this working for you? Do you have any questions about what I am doing? Do you have any questions about why I say or ask the things I do? What all this means is that a good practice theory is one in which the social worker has belief, one that provides useful intervention strategies, one that is consistent with the practitioner's values, and also one that has research support. You'll notice I haven't said anything about research support up until now, and that's not a mistake. I uh, may get in trouble with some of the other podcasters and some of the people who listen to this, I really don't have a lot of uh, enthusiasm for evidence-based practice because I don't think that you can take people as diagnostic groups and just identify a theoretical or a practice perspective that applies to this diagnostic group and determine from that what you should do with other clients from that same diagnostic group. To me, theory is also about the relationship that you develop with your client. And I haven't seen very much research in that area, at least that calls itself evidence-based. 
Now, you asked the question, can social workers develop their own practice theory? Yes. And uh, I, I have not done that. So I guess I would say, uh, it, you know, certain social workers uh, probably could, but they're going to be a lot smarter than me. Uh, what I do think social workers can develop is their own practice model. And uh, in addition, I think that social workers in the field can contribute a great deal to theory refinement, meaning um, I teach my students a variety of approaches. They go out in the field. They're working with clients who are increasingly complex, and uh, they are in the best position to find out what approaches work and what don't. And, and they're in the best position to kind of refine what a theory might have to say or suggest and maybe even improve on it. I wish that more practicing social workers wrote about theory. Um, it's unfortunate that it's mostly the academics who do that because, you know, even though I, for example, continue to be a practitioner, I don't see 20 clients a week anymore. I see about five and, uh, you know, I'm just not in the mix quite as much as I used to be. So I really do encourage social workers to um, test theory and develop their own models if they are inclined to do so. And, and they can contribute a lot to the profession in those ways. I think that last point that you made is really interesting, that social workers can contribute to theory uh, refinement by thinking about what it is they're doing and seeing if that actually works. And what comes to mind is, say somebody is uh, using cognitive behavioral therapy, and or specifically they're using Beck's cognitive theory, and they're really looking intently at this idea of the cognitive triad, thoughts about the self, about others, about the future, and really being critical about, you know, does this, does this concept play out with my clients? Um, does it actually fit the way that it's supposed to fit in terms of depression, core beliefs, schema, and that sort of thing? I know that when I was in school, I never had a professor who said, you're learning theory, <laughs> um, not just you know, to fulfill some sort of requirement, but also to uh, improve your practice and, and remember that you can contribute to theory. You can actually provide feedback that will make theory a living, breathing, active, daily thing. Just because you read it in a book doesn't mean that it's done, that there's always things that can be added to, to theories. So I, th I think that's a really important point. Related to that, one reason why many theories get criticized is because with uh, so much awareness of and attention to client diversity, it's believed that um, all these theories were developed with respect to some type of family or some socioeconomic level of client. And you just can't generalize across ethnic groups, racial groups, etc. And this is where I think students who graduate and go into the field, it's certainly one area where they can make major contributions because they're going to be getting so much of that experience and they're going to find out what does work with this type of client or that type of client or how is this approach limited when faced with a client from this culture. 
Joe, this has been very informative, and I know it's been interesting for me, and I hope for our listeners, and clarifying about the role of theory and and practice models. Um, If somebody wanted to find out more about social work practice theories, do you have recommendations of resources for them? What I always suggest to students is that if they're interested in a particular theory, like, uh, let's say, cognitive cognitive theory, that they read an original text, in other words, a book written by one of the pioneers, which would be Albert Ellis or Aaron Beck back in the uh, 60s and 70s, and then that they also read a more current text on the subject because then they get, they get a sense of how it has evolved over the years and how it's been found both to be useful across generations and also how it's, how it's had to adapt across generations, because that's very interesting, and it it helps to understand exactly what it is about an approach that works uh, or that seems to be helpful. Um, I have a book out on um, social work practice theories that uh, just came out in a second edition through Brooks Cole, and you're certainly all welcome to take a look at that. It's called Theories for Direct Social Work Practice. Um, Francis Turner had written a book back in 1996 called Social Work Treatment that summarizes quite a few theories related to social work. I would recommend that anybody who is interested read the book Persuasion and Healing by Jerome Frank, which, again, is an early and classic cross-cultural consideration of what is it about uh, the helping professions that seems to make a difference if you try to get down to just the core elements. Um, I'm, that's all I can think of offhand, Jonathan. I, I hope that's uh, helpful enough. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's great. And I'll put links to the the books that you mentioned on the Social Work Podcast website at http colon slash slash socialworkpodcast.com so that the listeners can go there and, and, and find those resources. And I always... Uh, update the Social Work Podcast website with with links that I find long after the interview is over. So um, that'll continue to be a resource. Joe, thanks so much for talking with us today about social work practice and theory. I, I really appreciate you taking the time out. I was very happy to do it, Jonathan. It's been great fun. I love talking and thinking about theory. And um, last thing I'll say is that to anybody out there who's a teacher, is that, uh, in my view, none of this has to be complicated. Uh, Most theories boil down to a few key ideas, and that uh, if we can get our students excited about those, excited about trying them out, then uh, the profession will be in good shape. I'm Jonathan Singer, and thanks for being with me today for another episode of the Social Work Podcast. If you missed an episode or have suggestions for future episodes, please visit socialworkpodcast.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit our online store at cafepress.com slash swpodcast. To all the social workers out there, keep up the good work. We'll see you next time at the Social Work Podcast. Mm-hmm.